If you're gay, then you're gay. You don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. Tonight, we'll discuss yesterday's downtown L.A. Pride Festival with two of the performers who just happen to also be part of the IMRU crew. And we'll hear a conversation with Stephen Raines, artist, educator, and poet laureate for the city of West Hollywood. And cultural treasure Terry Ray will be here live in studio to discuss his show Electricity, which is running for one more weekend at the Two Roads Theater in Studio City, but we'll be talking about so much more than that. And a lot of cultural treasures just happen to be part of the IMRU family, but we'll talk more about that too. And first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Jason Proctor. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 6th, 2016. Law enforcement harassment and threats of violence by a government cabinet minister forced Ugandan LGBT rights activists to cancel a pride celebration in a private space in the outskirts of the capital city of Kampala planned for August 6th. Falsely charging that a gay wedding was taking place, police raided the Mr. and Miss Pride pageant at Kampala's Venom nightclub on August 4th, detaining and harassing about 200 attendees and arresting some two dozen people, including well-known Ugandan activists Frank Mugisha and Pepe Julian Anziema. Some reports suggested that police officers particularly targeted and sexually abused several trans women, and that one man was seriously injured after jumping through a four-story window trying to escape the raid. The organizers were also accused of holding the event without a permit, which they vehemently denied. Onziema told BuzzFeed News that there is no way we would hold an event without a clearance. They don't care as long as the word homosexuality is not mentioned, he said. As soon as that is mentioned, everything else ceases and police feel they have to act. All the detainees were eventually released without charge. Human rights lawyer Nick Opayo told BuzzFeed News after a meeting with Ugandan ethics minister Simon Lokoto that the outspoken homophobe threatened to mobilize a mob and large police group to beat up anyone who shows up. Organizers said they still hope to hold a pride event sometime later this year. By contrast, Sweden's prime minister, Stefan Lufen, marched in this week's Stockholm Pride and Canada's PM, Justin Trudeau, led Vancouver's Pride Parade. The government of Tanzania is trying to curb gay sex by banning the import and sale of lubricants. Health Minister Umi Mwalimu said the bizarre ban was justified because the product encourages homosexuality. Tanzania already punishes private, consensual adult gay male sex with up to life in prison. Lesbian sex is not even mentioned in the penal code. 
Human Rights Watch has criticized Tanzania's government for the failing to stop rampant abuse against LGBT people or those perceived to be by homophobic thugs and even by the police. Mwalimu claims that taking lubricants off the shelves will help reduce the spread of HIV-AIDS in the Eastern African country. But the Global Watchdog Group says efforts to reduce HIV-AIDS infections are actually being impeded by government-sanctioned abuse of sexual minorities. Two tragic reports surfaced out of the Middle East this week. A young gay Syrian refugee was raped, stabbed, and beheaded in Istanbul. Friends said they could only identify the mutilated corpse of Muhammad Wissam Sankari by the pants he was wearing. They said he was trying to leave Turkey because he feared for his safety after being repeatedly threatened, kidnapped, and gang-raped. One friend said he ignored their warnings about going out at night. Threats and violence against sexual minorities, or those perceived to be, are common in Turkey's overcrowded refugee camps, and law enforcement protection is virtually non-existent. We can only protect ourselves, the friend said. We stay together to protect ourselves. Amnesty International has condemned the mid-July execution of a teenage boy in Iran. Hassan Afshar was only 17 in 2014 when he was arrested after another boy's father accused him of forcing his son to have sex with him. Afshar insisted that the sex was consensual and that the supposed victim had willingly engaged in same-gender sex on several previous occasions. If the other boy hadn't called it rape instead of admitting to consensual sex, however, he too could have faced the death penalty. Now, 19-year-old Afshar was hanged at the prison city of Iraq on July 18th without prior notice to his family after a two-month trial in which he reportedly had no legal representation. While confirmation of such executions in Iran is usually difficult, the charge of raping an underage boy is often used to condemn suspected gay men under the country's strict Islamic law. A photo of two condemned and blindfolded allegedly gay teenage boys next to hangman's nooses shocked the world just a few years ago. According to the Global Human Rights Group, Afshar's death marks Iran's first confirmed execution of a juvenile this year. Amnesty says the country executed at least 75 juvenile offenders between 2005 and 2015, including 13 last year. It's hard to believe Iran is a signatory to the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which prohibits the use of the death penalty for children. In other news this week, the U.S. Supreme Court stayed a lower court ruling that had ordered the Gloucester County, Virginia School Board to allow transgender teen Gavin Grimm to use the boys' bathroom. Justices voted 5-3 to three to put a temporary hold on the court order while they consider a review of the April ruling by the U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. That court determined that Title IX, the federal law that bans discrimination in public schools based on gender, protects the rights of trans students to use sex-segregated facilities that match their gender identity. The current Gloucester High School policy requires Grimm to use alternative private facilities. So any celebrations of the Fourth Circuit ruling were premature, because he'll still have to use separate facilities when the new school year begins in September. Supreme Court Associate Justice Stephen Breyer tipped the court's eight-judge balance, calling his vote for the stay a courtesy. LGBT legal legals point out that the stay doesn't forecast the eventual outcome of the case itself, or even if the Supreme Court will hear the school board's appeal. That decision won't be made at the earliest until the high court's new term begins in October. And finally, 
Lily Tomlin will become the first outperformer to win the Screen Actors Guild prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award during the union's annual awards ceremony in January. Tomlin first gained fame as abrasive telephone operator Ernestine and precocious little girl in Edith Ann on the fast-paced 1960s TV comedy show Laugh-In. She's never formally come out, but both publicly and privately, Tomlin has always been open about her decades-long professional and personal relationship with her partner, Jane Wagner. The couple married in 2013. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 6, 2016. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Wendell Jones. And I'm Jason Proctor. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So yesterday, I hopped onto the red line with Mr. Steve Pride, and we went downtown, and we experienced Downtown L.A. Proud Festival. And I had it wrong first time. It is proud, proud, not pride. And we have the organizers, or as they build themselves, the nightlife provocateurs behind this, the Boulay Brothers on the phone. Am I correct? Yeah, there they are. Hey, and do you go by individual names, or are you just an entity unto yourselves? We're kind of a collective, collectively a unimind. So Blue Brothers is just fine. Perfect. So how do you, this was your very first Proud Festival, right, for downtown? Yes. And and do you feel good about it? Because it was real fun to go to. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, you know it was nerve wracking getting it together. It took months and months, and uh, of course we were all. You know, kind of had our fingers crossed, but it turned out, I think, a lot better than expected. I mean, we went over capacity by the middle of the day, and it was just, you know, a huge line, which was good because it actually spilled over uh, from the people that couldn't get into all the local bars, so they were all packed as well. So it was great. So how many folks were there? I believe it was the last count that came in was around 6,000. <gasps> wow. Wow. And how did this start? You know, we have you know, Christopher Street West. Uh, what prompted you guys to bring this thing to life? The thing that happened was, you know, the queer scene in downtown L.A. has been growing for a little while, um, especially a lot in the last year. So a lot of us separately were thinking about, hmm, it would be a great idea to sort of, you know, do something just for downtown L.A., and we all had talked about it loosely, like different bar owners and promoters and stuff. And so we all just sort of decided to go for it and do it all at once. Pershing Square had the space available as well for the day. They were already set up for the summer concert series, so it made it a lot easier to do it. So it just worked out and it happened. Now, was Pershing Square an ideal space for you? Because nobody looks at that space when it's empty and thinks, ooh, let's have a party here. I think just serendipitously, everything just kind of aligned. The opportunity was there. It opened up. They had everything sort of set up, and they actually made great partners to work with. They were excited about the the whole idea, and I think I think that there's a real vitality kind of like pulsing through downtown right now. It's really kind of blossoming. It's sort of just beginning, and I think it's exciting. Everybody and Pershing Square was just ready to partner up with us and make it happen. Do you think this is the beginning of a tradition? I mean... There's already whispers of next year, so I would have to confidently say yeah. Well, now, if it gets bigger, where do you think you would move it to and still remain in the downtown area? Well, I, I don't think we should go in. <laughs> 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 well, how about this? Um, 
how having you now you're probably you know re- recovering from all the stress and everything that you put into it how do you feel i mean do you feel like it was everything you hoped for more or is there anything you'd want to do differently i mean there i think us along with other you know there were a lot of contributors to make this happen not just Boulay brothers but i think everyone learned a lot because we achieved a lot in a short amount of time we sort of had this window that we all sort of jumped through there's definitely a short list of changes that we we would be looking to do for next year but overall i think everyone's expectations it's like this huge relief and it was well received we saw smiling faces all day yesterday and a lot of them so i think overall we're you know the Collectively, we're all beaming and pretty uh, feeling pretty accomplished about what we did. And speaking of changes, who's the genius behind the change makers? Those young men that had singles tucked into their <clears throat> garments and would break a ten for you. That was great. Uh, bring what for you? They would make change for you. That was just you, Wenzel. You had nothing to do with that. Yeah, you talking about those hot boys in the black, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, that was totally our doing. Talk about Christian and Baby Bear. Oh, those were actually, those were, oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood your question. Yeah, no, those are, they follow us around everywhere we go. <laughs> that doesn't happen to me. No, that sounds like a dream come true. <laughs> so is there anything you'd like to leave us with that was your, the like your best moment or your most terrifying moment from yesterday, which could have gone um, either way? The most the most terrifying moment was when the gates opened, and um, so I was like, okay, this is either going to go downhill or go amazingly right now, and luckily it went right uphill, and I think the most amazing moment was when we gave the address on stage, because it gave us the opportunity, so a lot of people didn't know what it was, so that gave us the opportunity to say, this is what this thing is about, this is the intention of it, you know what I mean, and sort of just set everybody on the right path. The whole thing was nothing to do with Christopher Street West or, you know, people kept trying to pit us against them. And it, it's nothing to do with, you know, the L.A. Gay Pride. It was just this neighborhood's big enough to do it. Let's all get together until a one-day celebration. And that's really what it was about. Well, we actually are sitting here with a couple of your performers, uh, Miss Barbecue. Hey there, guys. And our Matty McLaughlin himself. Um, would you guys like to ask anything while we have the Boulay Brothers here? Oh, uh. <laughs> you're being so quiet. I know you're being well, so well, well behaved. Well, well, it was such a well-oiled machine that was running um, with 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 their crew backstage and stuff. I was just so happy that you know people knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know, and 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 it was nice to. It wasn't just the Boulay brothers running back and forth, but they actually got people who knew knew how to run a show. So when I came back, when I came back there, it was like, here's your cards. You know how to do it. You're a pro. You're a pro. You're a pro. Go do it. And it was nothing but encouragement backstage. You know, know, we have a great team that we work with now for Belay Brothers events that we've been doing for like 15 years now. They're really well trained. We do every Friday night and it's like clockwork now. So this was just sort of a bigger version of that. It was great. It was great. You know, and, and, and we were actually, um, what, what, um, Bella said, uh, we're actually early, <laughs> which was which you never hear backstage. You always hear we're running late. We're running early, so you can yeah. kick back. I was I like, know. what? Yeah, it was it was a very. It was a very, very tight, tight schedule, and it was kept too. It was, it was very impressive. Yeah. And also, uh, I mean, I've never been much of a Pride goer. I don't think I've been to LA Pride. Huh? However, this just this felt like a sea change, and, and not not to compare it to Pride, but right down to the lower ticket prices and then um, the uh, the entertainment. I mean, did, you guys had Deadly. Where like where did you find him? Like we used to play with Deadly ten years ago. That and was Richard I, Corral, actually. Okay, who brought him in? Yeah. I mean, it, it, like 
it's it's a it's an organic local yeah. local scene that has not been touched on. It's uh, I would go as far as to say that Christopher Street West has turned their their nose up somewhat to it. I mean, I remember when we contacted them, they, they you know they came back wanting uh, a stage plot rather than like, oh, you sound perfect and you're local, you know. And this was the same year that 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 we were on the LA Times cover, and uh, it was different here. And you also did it did it without a ton of Bud Light banners. Is that is it possible? <laughs> it was great. To keep that it was, going. It was organic that way. Yeah, the thing was is that we wanted to keep it local. My our push because you remember this is a collective of people that put this together. So it had we all came together with our strong opinions and then we agreed on something. And yeah. from our perspective, we wanted it to be completely logo free and free to get into. Now yeah. other people came in with a twenty dollar cover or whatever. So this is what we ended up with with an affordable five dollar pre sale and a ten dollar uh you know, regular cover, but that's what, how we were able to keep it down. Now there was still tons of sponsors and what happens next year, we'll see, but we're going to continue to push to keep it grassroots, clear, and as cheap as possible. Yeah. Accessible. That's the word. Yeah. I was, I, I was actually on the arts and arts and culture um, committee and that's where we had the one archives come up with their panels over there. And so, so we brought, it wasn't just music and dancing and, and the shows, but there was also a great cultural aspect to downtown LA. You know, Pershing Square was one of the first cruising areas that was in downtown LA. So we, we talked about that. There was so much history, rich history in downtown LA too, that we talked about all during the festival and to other people too. Um, before we let you guys go, um, how can people find out about you and what you're doing and maybe get some early news about next year? Are you guys on Twitter? I'm trying to find y'all. We don't use Twitter. <gasps> we're part of Facebook and Instagram. So on Facebook, uh, okay. uh, you know, Facebook.com, Boulay Brothers event. And on Instagram, it's Instagram Boulay Brothers, Snapchat, is Boulay Brothers. Everything's Boulay Brothers. Even with the Twitter. Right? Yeah, our Twitter is people we never go We're on not there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's B-O-U-L-E-T. And um, how lucky were you guys that they had uh, Liquid Shard was still there? Because that was such a visual, stunning, oh, stunning yeah. visual. Like I said, you know, it, there really was like a serendipitous like <laughs> magic of the way that things sort of fell in, and it just seemed like you can you kind of know when you're doing the right thing, and that was just one of them. Like visually, it was just sort of added to the magic of the day. So you know, the the thing I'd like to end on honestly is that you know, yes, it was all magical when it came together, and if people liked it and people want that vibe there, they are encouraged to get involved because that's yeah. what we we were not you know anointed to be what we were we rammed our you know truck through the wall and said we're, we're gonna here, we're here at this table and we're gonna work this out together and, and that's yeah. what happened so you know i encourage everybody to do that and get involved it's your community represent yourself and influence it and thank you so much for doing it because it was such an asset to the downtown life so thank you and thank you for being on the show Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so you guys on the ground, Maddie and Miss Barbecue. Yeah. How did it feel? Oh my gosh! When 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 I walked in through the through the entrance and I looked at the people, because um, being on the planning committee for over months and months, I was like, oh, there'll be five hundred. You know, it'd be great if there was a thousand. And so I walk in there and you see this beautiful silver silver thing flying in the air and you see the, all the signs up and I look around I'm like this is more than 500 people this is more than 1,000 people this is more than 3,000 people and they were young and I they couldn't were, believe how young everybody yeah, it was, was. It, was, it was people from everywhere all walks of life and I walked around and knew everybody and they were just so happy it was happening 
And it was it wasn't this whole nobody was silly drunk, nobody was messy, nobody nobody had any of that pretentious vibe. Maybe not in your act, Miss <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 it was it was it was it was it was so cool to see it come to fruition of what we planned on. Yeah, it could be a real train wreck, something like that, but it was extremely well organized and yeah. every every corner was laid out very well. I mean, the only, I think, drawback might have been line, line, lines were too big, but you yeah. know, I would rather, I think anybody would, would rather have that than, uh, than, than not enough attendance. Yeah. Well, 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 I think a lot of times they didn't foresee, you know, it's going to be a lot of people, da, da, da. A lot of times we don't plan, you know, you, you plan a birthday party, you don't think yeah. everybody's going to come to it. You know, you know, and it was great to have the different kinds of people, the different acts that were on there. Like you said, Deadly, he's a good friend of mine too. Yeah. And to have Big Dipper, the gay gays were there. You know, um, you know, Car- Carly Rae Jensen was there. It You're was kidding. like, it was, it, was, it, was like, it was like all these. Their name? Are you are you shaking your head? Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> she was at Pride. She was at Pride. She was at Pride. That's what I thought. Pride. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, Carly Rae, if you hear this, we want you at our Proud Fest. You well, can go to Pride too. Yeah, can she can do pride. pride. <laughs> we know, but pride. it has this—it has sort of a lovely small town feel because Steve and I walked in. We immediately ran into Peter Bedard, who's been on this show with his healing book. Uh, and then I looked up and I said, "Oh, look over there! There's Miss Barbecue." And we walked over to say hello. And then I looked to the stage and I'm like, "Why? There's Matt and the Gay Gays. It's, like, <laughs> it's all happening right here." We, you know, we didn't plan that time to walk in or anything. It was great. Yeah, it was it, very serendipitous for us too because we were not doing anything, but we were doing. We were coming out of retirement to do the Go Go's after party, and we were like, "This, this came up in Thor at Precinct who We Love has, has been uh, pushing for that, and he was involved with all the other bars with yeah. Redline Downtown Precinct and Jalisco, uh, as well as Bar Madison, which are Woo-hoo! all wonderful." Shout Shout out to all of them down yeah, there. Yeah, great, great additions to the downtown scene. And it was so serendipitous. We were so happy to be able to do it. And It uh, really sounds like kind of old school pride. Yeah. It really was. That's what a lot you of people know, came like up with. Or like Sunset a, Junction yeah, back in the day. Lot, I, I, I kept hearing the word organic. Mm-hmm. I kept hearing the word grassroots. I kept hearing the words fun once again. I heard, kept hearing the words thank you for having this. I had When's nothing to complain one? about. No, no, yeah. it was. I mean, I felt as as a performer, there are certain things you always want backstage and stuff like that. And they took care of everyone who came backstage too, which was awesome. Because as a performer, you're kind of like, here's a closet, get dressed, you're on in five minutes. There, they were like, there's couches, there's water. Here's a Coca-Cola. It was great. They had you my know. choice of men bathed and brought to me. I know. Oh, there were, wow. There, there were not I, only shirtless men galore. There were men who had been in the pool and were running around soaking wet yeah. in shirtless. And for that, oh, you bless you, Boulay, brother. Well done. so easy. God dang. So they paid attention to everything in your riders, your contact writer. I'm so glad to hear. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we could go on and on and on, but we have to move on. Yes. And so coming up, still to come, is Stephen Rain who we love around IMRU, but the world also loves uh, Stephen Rains for his poetry, his art, his philosophy. So we got a great story. We also have live in studio Terry Ray, who's appearing in a play locally in Studio City, but he's got his fingers in so many things and has so many fun projects and knows so many fun people. So we will talk to him about that. But before we take a break for Station ID, you have a chance to be a winner, get something fabulous for free. This has nothing to do with Pledge Drive. If you call, nobody's going to make you give a any money. Yeah. What we have is DVDs of the documentary Women He Undressed about the life of Oscar-winning gay costume designer Ori Kelly. It's being released on DVD tomorrow. I watched it this afternoon. Actually, I watched it the other night and then I watched it again this afternoon. And it's really interesting. If you love costumes and fabric and movie stars and all that kind of stuff, this is for you. So, give us a call at 818- 
818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. And get yourself a copy of Women He Undressed. You will never look at Betty Davis the same way again. I guarantee that. Yeah, I heard some very juicy tidbits there. <laughs> oh, there's much more than that going on. <laughs> and while you, Oh, no. What were you going to say, Wenzel? No, I was just going to say, I don't want to tip my hand, but there's a lot more going on in, in that um, documentary than Betty Davis's bus line. Yeah, well, we talked about that bus line (laughs) issue, but you're going to have to see it for yourself. And while you're dialing to get that wonderful DVD, we'll take a quick break for our Rainbow Minute and Station ID. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dreaming of a Gay Olympics, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The concept of a Gay Olympics is credited to a competitor in the 1968 Olympics named Dr. Tom Waddell. But in 1982, just three weeks before the first Gay Olympics was to take place in San Francisco... The United States Olympic Committee obtained a restraining order forbidding the use of the word Olympics. Although the committee had not objected to the use of the word in events like the Nebraska Rat Olympics, the Crab Cooking Olympics, or even the Nude Olympics, Waddell lost his fight in a 1987 decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. So he named his event the Gay Games. Still one of the largest sporting events in the world, Waddell's mission continues to educate people through sport in the spirit of better understanding. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Dustin Richardson. Hello, I'm Cece McDonald and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK-FM. 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego or streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Stephen Rains is a Los Angeles-based artist, educator, poet, and a member of IMRU's extended family. Recently, Michelle Marie Gilkison sat down with Stephen and files this report. You are the inaugural city poet of West Hollywood, and you're now in your second year of a two-year term. And I'm wondering if your relationship to that role has evolved over this last year or so. One way I think it's changed is that I feel a greater sense of urgency because my time is coming to a close. And I also learned from the experience of the first year. One thing I was doing in the first year is I was creating a lot of programming, and I realized that programming was geared towards the people who were already familiar with poetry. And the second year, my push was to create a bigger audience for poetry, to not necessarily just appease people who are already familiar with poetry. So this year, my focus was on big exposure for poetry. I created a project that involved electronic billboards in two locations, one on Santa Monica Boulevard and the other on Sunset. So these are our major thoroughfares in Los Angeles, but of course in West Hollywood. And I had poets as well as lines of their poetry that were in bright lights throughout the month of April. You've been doing community work in the literary arts for a really long time now. So this, in a lot of ways, is just an extension of the life that you were already living. Yeah, it didn't require a big adjustment for Mm -hmm. me as a person or how I think about things that I always went more 
people into the fold. I'm not interested in the elitism that surrounds literature and definitely not poetry. It's one of the great loves of my life. And of course, I want to share that with as many people as possible. And so everything I do kind of has that in mind. I'm not interested in excluding people. Talk to me a little bit about the workshops that you've done. An ongoing project is working with LGBT seniors. Yeah, the poetry workshops started, I think, you know, like the advice that people give young writers or beginning writers is write the book that you want to read. And I started teaching writing workshops because I was creating the workshop I wanted to attend. When my first collection came out, I was 25 years old, and I noticed people's reaction to poetry and how so many queer people in my age group felt a distance from literature. And I thought that's because the right things haven't been in their hands and they haven't experienced that. So I started teaching writing workshops to LGBTQ youth groups. And then I started doing that around the country. And one of my first writing prompts was to write about your first time. It could be the first time you kissed someone, the first time you had sex, the first time, you know, someone held your hand. And I feel like it's such a charged experience that people can easily tap into. It's also what prompted me to become a writer was my own, you know, first time experience. And so I had that writing prompt. And so I was doing that for years. And I was asked to start teaching writing workshops for people living with HIV. And I did a few of those. And then I was asked to teach one at a retreat. And I walked into the room. It surprised me, but there were a lot of older people in the room. And I was just coming with my, you know, the curriculum I always had, which was right about your first time. And I was so scared. I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to ask these seniors to write porn. You know, it's like asking your grandma to write about her first time. I learned so much from that experience. One, my own preconceived ideas of it. You know, I was 27, 28 at that time. And when asking people to volunteer to share their stories, all of them raised their hands. And I still remember some of the stories they told about sliding over in the seat of an automobile before, you know, there were bucket seats and making out. And though one of the rewarding experiences about working with youth is that I wanted to give them a platform for their voice, I realized who's even more muted are seniors that we're not a culture that values the wisdom of age. And when I moved to Los Angeles about 11 years ago, I applied for a grant specifically with this idea in mind of working with LGBTQ seniors. And thankfully, the Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs thought it was a good idea and they funded it and they continue to fund it every year. And I'm so thankful that they do that to make that happen. What was the most surprising thing about working with seniors? Just because one is older doesn't actually mean that they have figured everything out, that there's still insecurities and, um, you know, some of the things that we're in hopes to overcome in youth, that they don't necessarily always go away. I think they're managed a little differently, but they're still there and they're still present. What makes West Hollywood special in terms of being a literary hub? I think West Hollywood is special. I think that a lot of cities and communities are, though. Um, I just happen to be biased. It's the place I've considered home for the past 11 years. It has this rich history that I'm continually fascinated by. Just a few years ago, they opened up a new library. I walked in, and, and I was teary-eyed being in that library. And I 
and I just thought that I'm in a community that values literature so much that they've invested millions for this structure, and they believe it's so important. And so just kind of that alone, like what, what kind of statement does that make that on San Vicente, this, you know, major street to have such a massive structure and so much great programming goes on that it's a small city that's less than two square miles, that they actually have an arts and cultural affairs department. You know, I think that is unique. I think also the diversity of the communities there. It's also a city that during the AIDS crisis really stepped up and looked out for its residents. What have libraries meant for you throughout your life? Oh, I'm so thankful for my parents who would take me to the library. And then when I was 16 years old and I had my own car and um, a fake ID and I was going out a lot, I also discovered the main branch of the St. Louis County Library. And there was a certain section of books, and I wish I knew what that section was now. What I know is just about every single book was attractive to me in that section. It was a lot of alternative queer writings. It's where I discovered the anthology High Risk, and those writers in that book shaped my life. And so it's where my world opened up. When I lived in Tampa, Florida, I would go to these presentations at the Hillsborough County Library, where they would have presentations for Women's History Month, Black History Month, and they didn't have any programming for Queer History Month. And I just naively thought, like, oh, well, just no one's, like, no one suggested to do this. So I suggested queer programming, and it became clear to me that it's not that they overlooked it unintentionally, that they purposefully overlooked it. I then started lobbying, like, no, this is important. This is programming that should happen at your library. They were not interested. They gave me the excuse that programming needs to happen, I think, two years in advance. And I was like, well, why weren't you thinking about gay people two years ago? Like, this is this is such a weak excuse. Then I found out that there is a loophole. Uh, being a library in a public structure, the auditorium space could be rented out if the event was free and open to the public. So I just reserved their auditorium space for an event that was free and open to the public. And that event was called Loving and Fear. And I did it for four years before I moved. And that was about using their space and having gay programming at the library. And that was the first of its kind. I'm really happy that I did that. And I had some of the support I did to make that happen. And what was the response to that programming? Were people attending? Oh, the room was always packed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because people were hungry for that, especially in that community. And unfortunately, the library didn't take note of that. They didn't think like, oh, we have more people showing up for this programming than any other programming. At the same time, someone at a branch of the library made a display for Gay and Lesbian History Month, and it was taken down. And when it comes about gay visibility, people always go down to the lowest common denominator to children. Like, like what are children going to think about it? And I always think, like, you know, the displays they had for gardening didn't make me a gardener, you know. So I don't I don't think that gay visibility is perverting children at all or converting at all. Did you feel like the queer community in that region became more visible to you as a result of that programming? I knew they were there. Actually, I had written for years for a bi-monthly publication, and I was very involved in the queer community there. It was a community I dearly loved, and it was very upsetting to see 
the people in that community being silenced. And there's something that happens when we share our personal experiences. It, it normalizes our lives. It makes us feel more connected and less alone. It also gives us a sense of power and responsibility to other people. And so when those stories aren't being shared, I, I think it has a negative effect on how we perceive ourselves. This has been a conversation with Stephen Rains, city poet of West Hollywood. This is Michelle Marie Gilkison for IMRU Radio. Thanks so much, Michelle Murray, for that great look at and discussion with Stephen Rains. I love the question, what did libraries mean for you? Because for me as a young lesbian, the library was my access. That was my internet. That was my access to the world out It's there. all we had then. Yeah. Although I love that Stephen's parents took him to the library. <laughs> like mine would say, go to the library, but I can't imagine them taking me there. I rode my bike. I found myself in the library. I hope that this means that libraries are still a part of our story. And, um, and certainly Stephen is contributing to our cultural story. And that's why we call you Zelda. <laughs> so anyway, we have winners from our DVD giveaway. It is Deborah Evans in Los Angeles, Mike Harvey of North Hollywood, Rico Delgado in Ventura, Joni Kate in Malibu, and Marianne Thomas in Venice. So thank you all for listening, and they will be winging their way toward you soon. Sitting before us now, we have the delightful Terry Ray, who is currently in a show called Electricity, but there's only one more weekend left to go catch it. It's at the Two Road Theater in lovely Studio City. Mm. And how would you describe the show, Terry? Because if people leave it up to me, I tell too little or too much. <laughs> um, well, I also wrote it, so I can say a little bit more about it from that point of view. But um, it's about two guys who um, hook up after their high school reunion, uh, their 10th high school reuni reunion in a small town in Ohio. And uh, one of them is so closeted that he's made up a wife, and the other one is so much of a sex addict that he has no self-respect for himself. And they find themselves in the same motel room to share and there is electricity that night and um, they they hook up and then they manage to um, meet in that same room every 10 years for the next four decades and it's all about how we've changed from our attitudes, our lives from 1983 to 2013. So, And uh, much, much in the same way as that classic Same Time Next Year mm -hmm. that everybody's familiar with. Right. Did you did you consciously go to emulate that? I mean, did you try another structure or? Well, the thing I wanted to tell was the story mm -hmm. of our journey of feeling like there's something wrong with you for being gay. I think it's a journey that we have all had at a certain age that you know, like you grow up going, "There's I'm defective. There's something wrong with me." To a point that I am now personally, where I must demand equality. So I needed to tell that 30 year story, and the only way I thought. Well, the best way I thought to do that was to, to skip a decade every every time and just check on them and see how the world has changed and how they have changed. And um, I purposely didn't read again same mm -hmm. time next year. I knew I was going to get compared to that. Yeah, and, well, you and, can't help Yeah, that. that's it. So in, and in a way, it was helpful. It was like, it's the gay same time next year. Yeah. Though the only thing it's is, not. It's, <laughs> it's not. But it's still that, that premise of meeting up after a certain mm -hmm. amount of time, which, you know, that was the best way for me to tell that journey. Well, and it's not very often I sit through a play and you think, gosh, I wish I were reviewing again. But this one, I just thought, <laughs> a little smile, a little tear, a little weenie. It's the perfect gay show. <laughs> <laughs> 
the weenie isn't that little. Well, no, I didn't mean that the weenie was little, but it's brief. It's brief. It's brief. It's but brief. The thing is, there's so many affecting moments in that show, and that's that's such a tricky thing to do. I mean, were you aware? I just I don't know how people do that. It's magical to me. When you sit down and write something, do you consciously go, okay, here's where we're going to make people cry a little. Here's where we're going to make them laugh a little. Or does it sort of come out of you and you just look at it and go, well, where'd that come from? I, I don't think I can think of it that way. I just have to write it. And the way I write is I always have to have humor in it. So I'm like trying to tell the story that's basically a serious story, mm. but I got to find the humor in the story. So I'm, I'm telling the story, but in a way that includes humor. So... I think that's the way I approach it. But I don't know if I analyze it, I wouldn't be able to write. So I just, it sort of just happens. What are you hearing from the audience? It's been really cool. Um, I've been most shocked by straight guys. I've had several, and it's a comedy too. I mean, like, so people are laughing. But afterwards, I've had several straight guys come up to me in tears going, I am shocked at how much this affected me. And I've had people write me the next day and say, I can't get Brad and Gary out of my head. Wow. And, um, and, and, and I've, I've been really – like last night we had um, Randy Jones from The Village People, the cowboy from The Village People. Mm-hmm. And we had a little talk back that Lonnie Anderson was hosting and, and, and Randy started talking and he couldn't talk. He, he broke down crying three times. Wow. He was like, I, this, this moved me. And, but, it's, but they were such a great, funny, laughing audience. So it's nice that they're doing both, which is really rewarding. Well, now the talkback that you mentioned, where did this come from? Because you seem to have access to an enormous number of actresses of a certain generation. I like the ladies. They are. <laughs> but I mean, how, how, how like do you, a good gay man. Yes. How, how do you talk them into coming down and, and doing a talkback? Well, you know what? This is sort of our second run in a way because we, we, we ran for five weeks and then we wanted to extend, but the theater was booked out from under us. So mm-hmm. we had like a six week gap. So sort of like we're calling that New Haven and now we're back. I'm like, what can we do to up it a little bit? So we thought, you know what? What if we did some talkback with celebrity guests? And I, I know some people. So I thought I'm going to ask them. And Everybody said yes. I couldn't get guys. I asked a lot of guys. Oh, you did? And the guys all said, oh, we're booked. Like, everybody was busy. But the, oh. the, the ladies said yes. So I'm like, okay. Because you've had Frances Fisher, and the night I was there was Susan Olson and Sheena Metal. And I mean, I, you had quite a few people. I had Don there. Wells and Tess Harper uh-huh. and uh, uh, Allison Arngram. Um, well, Allison Arngram, of course. Yes. Uh, she and Judith Light. Yes. <laughs> if it is gay, they will be there for they you. They will. They will. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been it's been Lonnie Anderson last night. And so, yeah, it, um, really a gift to get to have the ladies come and do that. Well, I think to me, because uh, the way you've said it, the men graduated high school in 1973, as I did. And it <laughs> seemed to speak a lot to aging gay men. Um, yeah. Dis- discuss. <laughs> discuss. Well, I find myself in that category, so you write what you know, right? So um, I I just – I had to have the people of that age. I mean, it, like – and I'm one of the actors, so it's, it's challenging to play 58. Mm-hmm. Not. But the 28 part was a little challenging. Uh, so um, it, the age thing is the story that we relate to. I mean, it's, it's our journey, so it had to be something – for older guys, and I'm hoping it's also something for younger guys as well. It's 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 something that is a bit of our history, and I think it's an important journey to tell. Now, are there planning any plans to extend it this time, or or bring it back a third time? Or? We definitely want to keep going with the play somewhere. Um, I've had a couple theaters that have already approached me that are 
are going to read the script. So I'm 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 hoping it has a lot of life. That this is just the beginning. And to find more, you would go to electricitytheplay.com. Yes, and that will give you the run and and the ticket. Yes, there's a there's a little button for tickets there. Mm-hmm. You can click on that and. Uh, Tells you we have. I do have a guy coming this week. On uh, Jason Stewart's going to do the Q and A. Of course, Jason Stewart. So my first man. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want a ticket for this week's show, you can get one here. If you just give us a call at eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five, and it's just one set of tickets, right? Give you a pair of tickets. Um, oh, okay, I'll give a pair of tickets away for Friday night and a pair for Sunday night. <sighs> you spoil them. We're very giving here. So mm-hmm. be sure to let us know if you want the Friday night show or this in a Sunday night show. It's not a Sunday afternoon. Friday show. at eight, seven on Sunday. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. So now we're moving on from there, where people are calling in, you have done so much because <laughs> Abby was saying, "Isn't he famous for Scrabble?" And I yeah, said, I "Oh, hear about the Scrabble that thing. and so much else." So <laughs> just, let's just touch on Scrabble. Just first. tell us about Scrabble. Scrabble, I sold my pride down the river. I was just so gay and excited to be winning money. I couldn't take it, and I was going berserk. Okay, I, put us in a place and time. It's 1987. I. Uh, I had just moved to LA. I drove a car here that wouldn't go up a hill. I had left it one time burning on a freeway, and I just it, somebody put the fire out, so I just kept driving it. And I didn't have any money at all. And this friend, she hooked me up to this audition to go on Scrabble, and I'm like, okay. And I got picked, and I just kept win- kept winning money and getting crazy and goofy, and and I sort of. Chuck Woolery just sort of let me have the show, and he let me started doing commercials and. I, 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 he sang to me. It, it was it was wild. And then I, I absolutely, there's this clip. If you go uh, Terry Ray Scrabble uh, blooper or whatever on YouTube, you can see this just 20 some seconds where I completely out myself on TV. So had there been an internet, this would have been viral. It, it probably would have been yeah. viral. I was recognized for a year from that. Wow. I, I, when I came out of Circuit City. Remember Circuit City? Where oh, yeah. I oh. wanted to buy a stereo because I like I didn't have anything. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I bought a stereo, which was a billion boxes of things right yeah. then. Back, you know, yeah. massive amount of boxes. And I'm going to my car and this gang of people are coming across the parking lot. And I'm going to get robbed. I'm going to get robbed right here at Circuit City with a five seconds with a stereo. And... Um, it was a gang, and they came up to me and said, Terry from Scrabble. Hey. <laughs> I'm like, the last people you think would watch Scrabble, and they helped me load the stereo into the car. That's just an amazing story. Because that, that related to me because I, too, was on a game show in the mid-'80s. But it was Jeopardy. But, oh, um, that's a smarty but I, pants one. I worked so hard to not read as gay on screen. Oh, God. And when I saw your thing, I thought, why didn't you just go that route? Why didn't you? I didn't really have a choice. It just all bubbled <laughs> out. I thought I was not being gay until I saw it. And I'm like, oh, my God. It, you know, if you thought you were selling out your bride, probably somebody there said, wait, there's someone else like me. You know, it's 87. It's, yeah. You know, national TV. Feel good about this. Yeah, it was it was it was amazing the that people remembered that for so long. And you can see the legend live on stage if you just call 818-985-5735. We've got. Let me say that again, right? 818-985-5735. We have two sets of tickets for this weekend for electricity, Friday night at 8, Sunday night at 7. Back to you, Terry. In Studio City. In Studio City. Yes, not North Hollywood. You don't have to go over the hill. So now back to Lonnie Anderson. You've also got a web series called My Sister is So Gay, where Lonnie is your mother. Yes. How did this happen? Mumsy. I know. Um... I, uh, Wendy Michaels and I, who plays my sister, Wendy plays my sister, we were both students of Charles Nelson Riley, mm-hmm. acting students of his. And we loved each other since class. 
and we decided that we wanted to do a show together many years later. And we wrote this show and we thought, I want a celebrity as the mother, but let's just write the show. And um, we wrote it and then we thought, okay, who would be great? And I said, first person I said, Lonnie Anderson. And she said, oh my God, do you know her? And I'm like, she loved Charles. I did a sitcom with her one time and we talked about Charles. So I could get a clip of that sitcom to her agent. Maybe that'll make her read with say, Charles Nelson Riley, Charles Nelson Riley. And literally the next day she said yes. Wow. She just said, this is the kind of role I want to play. I'm thrilled. Let's do it. And you wrote this too. Right. Yes, yes. I mean, you're so good about being one of those people who creates their own work. You've God done so knows many if things. I want to work, I have to create it because ain't nobody calling the phone if I don't make it myself. Well, so. this makes me wonder because so many artists create what they want to see or hear or read. Do you do that? I mean, are there things out there that you want to see you haven't seen so you just create it? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, like, I, I, I have been so liberated when I started to write because I was just an actor forever and I was just like, wait for the phone to ring for one line on Seventh Heaven. Or I can put myself in the lead in something. And I prefer the lead. Well, and speaking of Charles Nelson Riley, did you not capture one of his final, if not his final, performance on film in your uh, award-winning project, Gaydar? Yes. You have done your homework. I loved doing it. I'm telling you. <laughs> Charles played my uncle in his last uh, on-screen role. He, he did an animated voice after that, but it was the last time he played mm -hmm. um a live on-screen role, and it was such a gift for him to do that. Yeah, he, well, and it was such an adorable little film, too, because the premise is that we, there's this really cute guy who works in the office, and for you who watch... Um, not Young Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. Yes. It's Brian Dutillo, the adorable Brian Dutillo. Lucas. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so, um, so Terry's character goes and finds a gaydar at a garage sale and the garage sale is held by jim j bullock uh, my and, next door uh, neighbor exactly and uh, uh he uh, takes it around and tries it on people but it's really a sweet little piece and it's hilarious and it's not too long and it's not too short and that's the best the best kind of short ever but where do, where do you get these it's like how do you pull charles elson riley in i lonnie anderson it sounded like it would be more trouble but you've also got don wells and another thing called still on the freaking island yeah. i mean how do you know these people uh i i uh, Charles, I got because of his my teacher, yeah. Don Wells. I, I I ran into her to, at an event, and we started talking. And she wanted to read the script with Lonnie Anderson because I had just written that. And she said, "Oh, I'd like to read the script." And then then we just started talking. And then and she, that week we had a meeting. And I thought I should come up with an idea if I'm going to a meeting with Don Wells. So I thought, what if it's got to be done? Somebody's already approached her with this. But what if we spoof that you're still on that island, and she said, no, no one's ever said that to me. I'm like, well, then let's do that. Let's, that would be fun to do. So I wrote that. She's still on that freaking island. And I wash ashore and I get to be on Gilligan's Island with Marianne. So, well, are you going to continue that? Or? Yeah. I mean, it, it did seem kind of self-contained. The second one is written and we're just waiting for our schedules to match up so we can shoot it. Yeah. Well, what else is going on? You do so much. I feel like you have a lot of characters sitting in your head. I know. I do. I have other scripts that I've, I'm waiting to get to and um, that I've written that I haven't done anything with because I've been busy. But we're getting ready to do the second season of My Sister's So Gay. Mm -hmm. We just finished writing that like two weeks ago, um, which I'm really excited about that. With more, going to have more guest stars in that. I'm going to bring in some more ladies. Can you name drop? No, <sighs> not yet. You can come back and tell us what <laughs> you know. I'll come back you? and tell you. Okay. But I have a little show uh, from here on out that um, – that um, Juliet Mills is in. So that's another little lady. Oh. Yeah. That takes me back. 
right? Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Nanny and the Professor. Right. So what kind of a show is that? Uh, it's on Here TV. Um, it's... Um, uh, we did the first season so far, and it's uh, it's a spoof. It's it's like a gay Thirty Rock. It's a show about making a uber sexy bad gay show. So um, <laughs> that it, alone, yeah, you've got yeah. Me. So the, the the fictional show that we're making is called Guy Dubai International Gay Spy. So that is just like this horrible show that must happen during the course of the sitcom working around the show, and. Um, you know, I have uh, I play basically a version of myself. I play the the creator, writer of the show, who who was forced to to direct it because there's no budget for anybody else. And so I have this Suzanne Wong from House Hunters. If you know her, uh, she's really f- funny. She I she her character is she plays a maid who wants to be an actress, and she works for these rich people. So she lets us shoot in the house if I put her in every part, every episode, even though the people who own the house don't know where they're shooting and. Um, Every episode takes place in a in a different country, and she's Korean with this bad Korean accent, playing Scottish or playing, you know, <laughs> Swedish. I can't wait to see this. <laughs> There's some hot guys in that one, super hot guys. Clearly, you have a lot of reasons to come back. Oh, I'd love to. But as a reminder as to why you came here in the first place, you're appearing in Electricity, which you are starring in and have written. It's at the Two Roads Theater in Studio City. If you want to know more, it's electricitytheplay.com. Thank you so much for coming to visit us. I am delighted to be here. Thank you. And I can't wait to have you come back and hear about the rest of these things, because I have a feeling we've only scratched the surface, haven't we? I'm, I'm feeling that. And there's more. We'll talk. I know. Well, I I want to see Guy Dubai. You need to see spy. him. Uh, yeah, you'll ha- you need to have some like a fan when, when involved because he'd be hot. He'd be very hot. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. So while you guys go off on your island with Marianne, yes. we have to say goodbye. Okay. Well, our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our board op, Federico Garcia, Michelle Marie Gilkison for the feature on Stephen Rains, our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, Ms. Barbecue, our social media goddess, and Matthew McLaughlin, who's here being a PA person and a guest. And of course, He's thanks to you, can our can listeners. Right oh, well, he's wearing a short short. He is. He's wearing a short short. And, and they were. They do. <laughs> Yes, you are listeners. Uh, you can find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. And we'll close with John Gilbert Levitt's classic anthem, Pride. Good night.
A-bomb, 50 skin, the Kinsey, shake the cocktail scene, James Dean, Manasheen, Doris Day, and Harry B. Donald with the Tory rights, Joe McCarthy picks a fight, J. Edgar Roy, can't shame on you, what else do you plan to do? Selton, John, George, Michael, what is going on? Lilith, they rowdy girls spend the day at Disney World Poonan and scare them, Nick, the case He and Ellen, Will and Grace Matthew Shepard, God bless you What else can we look forward to? Pride, pride, gotta have pride We've been around too long to keep it inside Pride, can't sit back and watch from the side Pride is power and power is pride Time to celebrate all the colors of the rainbow. Get out into the streets and follow the tide. Pride, pride, gotta have pride. We've been around too long to keep it inside. Pride, can't sit back and watch from the side. Pride is power and power is pride. Time to celebrate all the colors of the rainbow. Get out into the streets, follow the tide. 